All right, let's turn together to John chapter 8. So the word Advent means arrival, and we are in between two of them. So uh, there's this handy little uh, like image that we'll show. Um, so if you look at this, this image up here, um, that one, uh, we are in between Advents. So that, if that's a timeline, you see where you are? just want to make sure you saw it. Uh, you're right there. Uh, if it's a timeline going from the past into eternity, you have two Advents. You have the first one and the second one. The first one, that's, uh, that's the little nativity scene there. That's when Jesus came to the earth, the incarnation of Christ. That gets the most attention during this time of year. Um, that's what most of our songs are about and our Christmas carols, and that's, that's what you see the most. Uh, there's another arrival, the second one over there, that is very mysterious. We know a little bit about it, uh, but not a ton uh, at this point. Uh, the, main thing, the, only real, the main thing we need to know about it is it's going to happen. Like he promises it would happen, it's going to happen. So um, there's a little bit of mystery of the details, but it's, it's there on the timeline. And then there's eternity on the other end there. And then there's, there's you, there's me in the middle of it. And so when I say we're between advents, that's what I mean. Like in linear time, he, he has arrived once, he will arrive again. We're, just, we're waiting on what's next. Um, and those two advents, are, there are, they are different. Uh, he won't come back as a baby, uh, that kind of thing. They're going to be different from, uh, but there's also some, some similarities between them. And uh, I said this last week, I've just been thinking about this idea that like we, we know how to do this. Like we know how to be on this side of a promise that God has made because God's people have done this before. This is not new to the people of God. On, on the other side of that first advent, there's all these faithful Old Testament believers who waited with, with such... Uh, Grace and patience, and at times impatience, you know, that kind of thing. But we've been through this before. They have chronicled their experiences. We have the scriptures. We, we've been here before. Um, and I said last week, like Vince Lombardi's famous phrase of, he, he tells uh, his football players, he told them, uh, when you find yourself in the end zone, you need to act like you've been there before. Uh, don't act like you just did some like, unprecedented thing the first time anyone's ever done that like no like we're supposed to do that like don't you know that's what we're supposed to do we know how to do this and so for us in between the advents as we wait we've done this before really maybe not us as specific individuals but as the people of god we know what to do and so those similarities between the advents are very helpful uh in knowing how to how to get through it and so last week i talked about each advent was built around a set of promises. That's what they had in common. Uh, one of the things they have in common. Today I want to talk about the commonality of light in each of them. God's use of light. Uh, and so look at, look at John 8 verse 12. Jesus says, uh, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Okay, let me say it. Let me read it again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will 
not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay? Now, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who would have listened maybe with a different filter than you and I. And that's one of the things about Scripture that's a, it's like important and fun for people who who do what I do for a living is to to try to get into the the first people to hear some of these things. What what would they have thought about? Uh, what would that have triggered within them and their thinking and their worldview at that time in that part of the world? All that kind of stuff. How would they have heard it? Um, and so we have to pretend to be first century like Jewish people for a second. Um, when light is brought up, there's a, there's a history there. Um, if you were Jewish, you would connect light to the presence, like the active presence of God. Um, whether that's in the creation narrative, Genesis 1, or uh, more like pertinent to like an actual like Jewish person's mindset at the time would be Exodus 3, where Moses uh, is walking along and there's this shrub that is on fire and it's talking to him. And the shrub basically says, I am God, do what I tell you. And that's my interpretation. Um, And that, like, they associated that, like, the light, the fire of that story with the presence of God. God told Moses, you need to take your shoes off because this ground is holy because I'm here. Um, That marked those people. Uh, In the escape from Egypt in slavery, as they were traveling through the wilderness, they didn't know where to go. And so God led them at night with a pillar of fire, like a big like cone of fire or something like that. Some sort of super bright firelight that led them in the way to go. That was a part of their heritage. They, they knew that. Uh, his audience here would have gone to several festivals throughout a year, and one of them was built around, uh, it's, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's built around that same thing. They would make, have these four 75-foot-tall oil lamps that they would light for the entire length of the festival to symbolize the pillar of fire that led their ancestors through which symbolized the burning bush that spoke to Moses that led them. And like, you know, see what I'm saying? Like there's a history of light. And so when Jesus says, I am the light, that's what they would have thought of. All of that would have been connected to them. And so it's a bold statement that he's making. He's not just like finding a metaphor to help them understand something or an object lesson. He's making a, an identity statement here. Um, So when he says in that verse, I am the light of the world, even him saying I am, that's the same language that God used to speak to Moses. And so all these things would have been interconnected for them. And so we have to listen to the same way. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of creation. I am the light that spoke to Moses. I am the light that led your ancestors through the wilderness. I am him. Like I've taken on flesh and I dwell among you. That's who I am. So it's been a huge statement to be able to connect all of those things together. And he says, not only I am the light, but he says, I'm the light of the world. Now the light of the burning bush, that was for Moses. The light of the pillar of fire guiding the nation through, that was for Israel. 
But here he says, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is for everybody. Like this, this light coming into the darkness is for everyone. A huge, huge statement. Then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. Now, this happens a good bit when Jesus is talking and when John uh, in his gospel is writing. Light and life are, are connected to one another. There's a, reason, there's a reason for that. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Or the life of light. You can just interchange them. It's, just, it's saying the same thing. That these are, there's something more going on here. Um, and you might re- remember this from some old live streams back in the early COVID days. Uh, me talking about this. But in, in the Greek language, there's, there's three different words for life. That are translated into life in English. Our language is very boring, apparently. And uh, we just take one word. It can mean 19 things. Who, who knows? But they were like, no, let's just give everything its own word. It's pretty important. So um, uh, there's bios, and there's suche, and there's zoe. Those are the three words. Bios is the biological life that we have. That's where we get biology from. Um, it's the fact that like, uh, when you... like. You are sitting here and you are physically alive in a way. Um, so that's bios. Suche is spelled P-S-U-C-H-E. It's where we get uh, psychology, that, that whole idea from. And so that's the, the life of the mind. That's where our, our will, our emotions, like all that kind of stuff are, are there. And so... Um, you, you know, like in some, like in a, in a, a tragic situation where someone's physical body is alive, but their brain has no activity. That's showing the two different kinds of life they're talking about. There's biological life that just keeps your body alive. Then there's a life of the mind where we're thinking and feeling and acting and all that stuff. Um, and then there's this, this third one called Zoe, Z-O-E. This is very different. This is the life that Jesus is talking about in, when he speaks in these terms and when John writes in these terms. Zoe is the, is the uncreated, eternal life of God. Um, this divine life that is uniquely possessed by God. So think about it in, the, in this way. Um, you, we are, we're born with bios with biological life. And if and we're born with suche, with psychological life. Like if if everything goes the way that it's supposed to go developmentally, we're born with bios and suche. Um but we're not born with zoe. That eternal life of God. Not 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 in not in the way that Jesus is talking about it. Zoe, that eternal uncreated divine life of God, that is his life. That is not yours until he shares it with you. So he, till he offers it to you and invites you to take it. Um, it's very special. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will have the light of Zoe. Whoever follows me will be truly alive in the way that light 
overcomes darkness, your life will overcome death, the spiritual death that sin has brought into our world. And so he's making this statement that has all these depths to it, saying, I've come to make you fully alive, to overcome death in you by bringing life, just like light will overcome darkness. John says it this way in one chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was Zoe, and that Zoe was the light of men. It was the light in the darkness. Bios and Suche, they do a lot of things in our world. Zoe does something completely different. And so Jesus stands before this group of people, and through the scriptures, he stands before us and says, I am the Zoe of the world. I'm the light. I'm the life. I've come to bring the life of God to the world and light up the darkness. And if you follow me, darkness is is not at all what you walk in anymore. You walk in a completely different situation. If you've ever been in a completely, I mean, a totally Zero light situation. Light is a game changer in that moment. And that's what Jesus is saying. So, if that's how the scriptures deal with light, it's no coincidence that both advents involve light. God's use of light is very strategic. So let's look look at the the first one. there's this verse in Isaiah chapter 9 that tells us what everything before that first advent was like. It says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Okay? So we know in the first advent, like the promises that they were holding on to was that light was going to enter the darkness. But what we also know is that they were walking in darkness. Deep darkness. Now we can think of that as a as a like metaphor. It can be a spiritual death. Uh, you can think of it as in any way that you want. But I think there's a reason why God connects uh, actual tangible things with these deep spiritual like realities as well to help us understand it. And so, no, before Jesus, people weren't walking around like in a like deep cave in the middle of the earth, like that kind of thing. But they were going around just with bios and just with suche. That kind of darkness. And so they were looking forward to light coming in there. They didn't, maybe not even knew, didn't know what that meant, but that was the promise. So here's the birth narrative, Luke chapter 2. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Okay, the glory of the Lord, that phrase is found in other parts of the Bible in talking about the illumination that comes with special like revelation of the Lord. So the glory of the Lord shining around them, that is light, okay? So these shepherds are on a hillside in Bethlehem, and it's nighttime, 
and probably not a lot of light pollution in the in the first century. You know, it's probably pretty dark out there, except for the moon and the stars. And then suddenly, everything lights up for them. Now, here you are. Let's say that you're a Jewish shepherd boy, and you have been to synagogue. And you have, uh, you know the Old Testament prophecies, you've been to the festivals, you know that big displays of light are about God's presence. And all of a sudden, one night, the sky lights up and the angels start talking to you. Like, that is on purpose. God is absolutely doing that on purpose. Another thing, I, I told the first service this, uh, these shepherds in Bethlehem, Bethlehem was like known for a couple of things. One of them is that that's where they raised sacrificial lambs. They, have, they were really, really good at uh, breeding lambs and growing them and making sure that they were spotless and all that kind of stuff. And so when it came time to sacrifice the lambs, all these lambs from Bethlehem would go to Jerusalem and be sold to then be sacrificed uh, there at the temple. And so you have these shepherd boys who are watching over future sacrificial lambs, a huge, huge, incredible thing in their culture. And they're watching all these lambs, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the darkness, everything lights up, and the angel says, hey, uh, I'm going to take you to the real lamb, like the final lamb. This, you won't have to do this anymore kind of thing. Like This is a huge moment for the people of God, especially for these shepherd kids that are there. And we get to read about it, but we have to make sure to connect those dots that here is another moment. The Let there be light in Genesis. The Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. The pillar of fire, Exodus 13 through 16. Uh, all the feasts of tabernacles. Jesus saying, I am the light. And this moment, put it in the mix of times when God says, I want you to know that I'm here and I'm going to use light to just blow up the darkness so that you do not have any doubt what is happening in this moment? That's killer right there. And then, uh, not to leave the wise men out of it, but in Matthew 2, it says this in 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And this is what they said. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Like, more light? Okay, we get the point. This is prophetic, going back to Numbers. I, I meant to look it up in between services. I think it's Numbers 23. Um, but these were they were waiting for this astrological sign. And what do stars do? They just reflect a ton of light. And they saw this thing. And so once again, God's using light to talk to people. These guys aren't even Jewish. They're from somewhere else. They're like, hey, we just want to make sure we're getting good with the king. And so here God is using light strategically in that first advent. What about the second one? What about the second one? I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. In Matthew 5, we'll get there in just a second. Now, on the timeline, the second coming has a lot of mystery, like I said, and I... I think that next week I may talk about some of that stuff. So if you're super into like uh, 
all that end time stuff. Maybe I'll get to some of that next week. But let me just say this about it. Um, Jesus is going to return to the earth. And uh, he's going to make everything new, is what he says. Behold, I'm making all things new. The Bible does not talk about us being taken away to heaven somewhere else. It speaks of Jesus coming here and speaking a better word over this earth and making it, like healing it, basically. And we don't know what that's going to look like necessarily. We don't know what the process is to get us to that point or what all that stuff is going to go down. We know we know some things. We don't know a lot of it. Um, and for some people, it makes them really nervous just to think about uh, all the end time stuff, you know. And that's because we have been preyed upon by Hollywood and uh, book writing publishers and all this kind of stuff and a lot of bad preaching, honestly. Here's the thing. As the people of God, we need to have no fear about that. Like, it, it may not be super fun. Like, if things get worse before they get better, like that might, part of it might not be fun, but we don't need to fear it. He will return. He will make everything new. And in the book of Revelation, he kind of, he kind of like pulls back the curtain a little bit and lets John look into that future. And he writes it down as best he can. And some of it makes no sense. And some of it, it makes a ton of sense. So I want to read the end of Revelation 21 into 22 to talk about where God's use of light in the future. So this is Revelation 21, verse 22 says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Okay, read that that verse again. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So, Something about our future means that we will not have to manufacture light. Like right now, there's we're, we're through electricity and through technology and different things, there's light in here. And there's natural light from outside. But this is saying that we won't even need the natural light. We don't won't need the light of the sun because the light of like the glory of the Lord will light up everything for us. I don't really know what that means, uh, 100%. But I think I know enough of what it means to like it. right? That his presence will be so unveiled that that glory of the Lord that lit up that hillside in Bethlehem will just be how we see everything by that light. So now we're seeing everything by either natural light from, from the sun or that light reflected off the moon or whatever, or manufactured things we've created. And God says, yeah, Jesus will just be your lamp. That's what it says. That's pretty amazing. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. 
and there will be no night there. Okay, so I don't know what that means either. I don't know if our solar system is still doing its thing. Like I don't, understand, I don't know the, the whatever. But there's no night there. Um, whatever that means, it's good, right? Even to to a first century person, night was a scary time. Like they. They didn't go out at night. They didn't travel at night. They didn't try to do those things. That's when bad things happened. And so whether literally or figuratively, he's saying, hey, you're not going to have anything to worry about. In verse 26, they'll bring into, into it, meaning the city, the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, you know how now we um, we like lock our doors and we turn on our lights, and some there's like no shortage of security systems available to us now, and uh, to the point where some of you right now can know what's happening outside your front door if you just open up the app on your phone, you know. And we live in that kind of world where we're always kind of looking over our shoulder and we're just never... You're saying your whole future, there's no night there. Like there's nothing to worry about. We're, we don't have to close the gates of the city. We don't have to lock the doors. We don't have to get security cameras. We don't have to... We don't have to that's not how it is. Because nothing false will enter. The only people there are the names that have been written in God's book. And when God writes his name in your book... Your name in his book. Either way, it's fine. When that happens, it's forever, you know. And so for those who come to the Lord and recognize Jesus as Savior and as Lord and 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 recognize him as the Redeemer to save them from their sins, like that, that is a done thing. Your name is in the book. You're a citizen of heaven. Like it is it is happening. And his power keeps you there. You don't earn your way into it. And his power is what keeps you there. And so if you question that part about your life, I don't want you to leave here today wondering that. We don't do a lot of like traditional invitation, altar call kind of stuff here. Um, and But that's never to be mistaken for the fact that uh, we don't believe that Jesus is constantly calling people to himself. When, want that to happen very naturally and organically between you and him and then to tell someone else. And so that happens for you today or at any point. We, like, we want to know about it. We want to walk with you through that. But this future of ours where there's no darkness and no light, uh, no manufactured light because God is just lighting up everything. Like that's, We want to do that together. Jesus has come and said, uh, this is for you. He has invited all of us into that life. In chapter 22, verse 1, he goes on to say this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, here's more light, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I don't know what that part means, but the first part I'm good with. They will see his face. Look at verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Now, we don't have to understand everything about that to know that that is incredible. Like that is, like I want that right there. Like I I can hang in there through whatever, knowing that that's waiting for me, you know. That's one of the, one of the like, great things about Christian community is we get to remind each other that this is our reality in case we forget sometimes. And so, if Gracie, we can put that graphic back up of that timeline. Um, if, if we're looking at things like this, if he uses light in the first coming and there's light second coming, Everything on this side, everything before the first coming, we can understand that as being darkness. And everything on this side of the second coming, we can understand as light. Like, but like, only darkness before the first coming, only light after the second coming. What do we do with uh, uh, us there in the middle, you know? Like what? What would Jesus say to us when we're saying, "Okay, we we know it's not totally dark, but we also know it's not totally light." What's happening to us? Well, we we live in the overlap of those two realities. It's concentric circles, and the overlap. That's really what's point where that little uh, finger would be pointing to right there. You and I are in the middle of those things. And so, what would he say to us if we're like, "Okay, so how are we supposed to live?" Uh, in the meantime, well, look at Matthew 5. I think he answered the question before we asked it. 5.14. You are the light of the world. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Didn't Jesus say that he was the light of the world? And here he's saying, you are the light of the world? We are the light of the world? Yes. So let's track with what's happening here in this moment. Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is uh, standing on a hillside. Bunch of people there. The light of the world is saying to them, you are the light of the world. Zoe is standing before them and saying, you are the Zoe. Lighting up the darkness. The world around you is operating in bios and suche, right? Their biological lives and psychological lives are driving the world. And it's leading to some, some really beautiful things and some really terrible things. I mean, the news cycle each week just seems to just be filled with awful, awful stuff. 
And yet there's still beauty happening. And he says, yeah, there's a lot of darkness. And so I'm going to take my light and I'm going to invite you into it so that you are the light of the world. His life in us, Christ in us, is the hope of glory. And so he can look at a bunch of like ragamuffins like all of us and he can say, you are going to go light up the darkness. And then he says, so verse 14, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I grew up, like a lot of you, in church, singing this little light of mine, right? Obviously, the scriptural reference for the classic. But when I think about it in terms of God's use of light throughout the scriptures and Jesus standing before people saying that he is the light of the world, and those who follow him do not walk in darkness, but they have the light of Zoe, Um, And then he hands the light to us in the sense that he hands himself to us. I'm going to come live in you and light you up. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go to, we're going to go to campus or we're going to go to uh, central or to Prairieville or to Baton Rouge. We're going to go to work. We're going to go to the grocery store. We're going to go to school. We're going to like live where we live. We're going to do this thing. We're going to take all this light and we're going to scatter it out into this darkness. We're going to light up. The world, um, that's the plan. And so in between the advents, that's the, that's the plan, is for us to recognize who the light of the world is, meaning him in a primary sense, and us, because we got invited into this incredible life, that we together with Christ are lighting up the world around us. And so what, what does that mean that we do? Well, that's a, a part of the overlap is uh, there's darkness that requires us to have places like Maison de Me, the, the group home for adults with chronic mental illness. Uh, that We live in a world that we have to have places like Hope of Life, the, the kids' home in India that we support uh, because there are homeless children, you know. It takes them in. Like, because... Darkness has made those things necessary. And so how do we bring light into it? Well, we bring them Christmas presents and we throw a Christmas party, you know. We collect an offering and we send it to Hope of Life because their place flooded a few months ago. And we like want to be a part of like continuing to like enable the discipleship of those young people, bringing light into Calcutta, which is one of the like spiritually darkest places I've ever been. Um, that's, that's what we do. We look for the darkness and we try to figure out how do I bring light into that? And that darkness could be, it could be bringing it into a physical place. It really is about though bringing it into the people in those places. And so I have to ask myself is, are my pathways being lit up? Like when I go into a grocery store, is it brighter in there? Like, not in a bios suche way, like in a zoe kind of way. 
Are my interactions with people, like, are, is there lightness coming into whatever darkness may be there? Where I live, is my street, is it brighter than it was when I moved in, you know? We have to think about that in the workplace and in school and in our, but really in the relationships that exist in those places, like, the people walking in darkness, like, they can still see a great light. And Jesus is very clear that the point of that light is so that people will see the glory of God on display and worship him. That's the point. And so what do we do in, the, in between the advents? Well, we light up the darkness. And we, like in a very, like, uh, like to keep the fire analogy going, like if you have a little fire in the fire pit and you want to get it going a little bit more, you have a few options, and one of them is you put some oxygen on it. To me, that's what that's what Sundays are supposed to do. That's, that's, that's what the gathering of the saints is supposed to do. It's supposed to fan some things into flames. It's supposed to put some oxygen and some kindling on things and get that fire going to get that light brighter that when we go out of here, uh, like the, the illumination of Baton Rouge should look different. And especially... If all the churches are doing that, you know, there should be this this beautiful spiritual glow in our city, and that's what that's what I long for. I know that's what you long for. Is for that to be the case, for there to be what some would call a revival, uh, but to talk about it in today's terms, like in for like this for today today, um, just to see that glory of the Lord just glowing in our city. Um, but it all just begins with the individual, right? And it's us doing that together, locking arms. So the light of the world, who is the light of the world? Is it Jesus? Yes. Is it you and me? Yes. And until until he comes back, like until that, that second advent happens and we're in the middle, uh, this is a part of how we wait. And so the application is different for all of us, but then it's kind of the same for all of us too. And so I hope this is in, encouraging. I hope this gives us some things to think about. Think about the Lord and also think about ourselves and think about our mission together. Um, and to know that you know the things we try to put our hands to at Advent, like the Mason party or the Hope of Life Advent uh, uh, offering, or even like our lessons and carol service and all the things that we're doing, we're trying to, we're trying to do stuff in the middle. Trying to bring light, and so I hope that um, hope that that's what's connecting to us uh, internally as well. So, wherever this reaches into your life, let's steward it well. Okay, let's stand together. We're gonna we're gonna sing a song here in a second that um, it's it's called "Hymn of Heaven," and we've done it once before. I think I know a lot of you guys know it. But it, it kind of turns a corner at the end where it's, it's singing about that second coming and what awaits us on the other side. Then the back end of the song, though, it, it turns a corner and says, so, so let it be today that we sing the hymn of heaven. Like, let it be today that we walk in the reality of what is ahead for us. We don't have to wait until one day for us to walk in light like that. Um, so we're going to sing that together and just process what the Lord has uh, speaking to us this morning. Let me pray for us, and I'll hand it over to these guys. Um, God, thank you for the gift of...
your word and thank you for bringing things into terms we can we can understand the idea of light invading darkness and that darkness cannot overcome it I mean that that's something we understand on a very practical literal level and yet you mean it in such deep ways and God you know that at times it seems like the darkness of the of our world has it seems like it's winning you know seems like uh, spent that a lot you know so I'm thankful for the scriptural reminder that um, this is not how it works the light has entered in and there's no undoing that uh, would you help us to recognize the ways that this applies to us how we as individuals can carry that light forward and that we would continue to um, to be decisive in how we how we want to live our lives you know that we make uh, daily commitments and renewal to put our hands to the plow you know and to be about the things that are important to us and so in these moments as we sing or pray or just kind of just be present in the room uh, I ask that you would keep speaking to us as we speak back to you we love you